This job is in uh, in Soho. All right. right. On Prince Street. Oh yeah. It's 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 right on Prince Street, and Prince Street's this tiny little narrow street, you know, but it's in the heart of Soho. And uh, so I said, I will. Right, well, I'll go there and make sure everything goes smooth. So we show up and we're waiting. Said, so well, where's the crane truck? Oh, he's coming. He's coming. So all of a sudden, this guy pulls up, and uh, he come. He comes out, and he has like this like ladder truck. <laughs> it's got a little like a little dolly on the back, and on the side of his truck it says furniture lift, and it shows a picture of of it's a ladder truck that's got you know it it's for putting couches up into these buildings you know they put the couch on this ladder truck and then put it in and then they pull it in through the window so i look at the designer i said that's not a crane <laughs> oh, well. you're now entering the creative trace terminal badges will be required from this point forward final destination the audio depot with your guides warren and matt so buckle up and grab your coffee we're going vertical Another episode of Going Vertical, where your host, Warren Ness and Matthew Garver. Today we have a special guest coming to us from Bluebird Concrete. John Allegro will be joining us momentarily. But before we get to that, I just want to once again ask you all to go to iTunes and leave us a rating and a and a um, comment that will allow us to broaden our audience to more people through iTunes so that we can be discovered on iTunes and grow this podcast. Um, so without further ado, we'll go ahead and bring him on. All right. So now we have John on the line. John, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us how you got started in the trades? All right. Uh, John Allegro. I own uh, South Bay Concrete Design based out of uh, Long Island, New York, and uh, I blame my wife for uh, getting me into this business. <laughs> um, <laughs> about 10 years ago, she saw some concrete countertops and uh, decided she wanted to uh, have them put in the house, and mm. I kind of, at the time, I was working for a large uh, landscape construction company, and, you know, we did sidewalks and curbs and all kinds of stuff like that, so I figured I could... I'll give it a shot. I'll see what I can do. Sure. And kind of fell on my face a little bit. <laughs> and uh, we used to get laid off in the winter, so I um, I ended up going to uh, take a training class with Jeff Gerard at the Concrete Countertop Institute. Outstanding. And basically it was just the idea of, you know what, I couldn't find anybody in my area doing it, and I was figuring, you know what, I'll take the class, see what happens make my countertops and that'll be it right and wow. uh you know now here i am doing uh gfrc cladding and all kinds of different stuff it's been a it's been a pretty crazy ride wow did you uh what style did were you inspired with when you first you were doing landscape construction so when you first seen it or excuse me your wife seen it what inspired you or what look was it the buddy Rhodes look at that the hand pressed or where were you at where was things at with that no it wasn't even the hand press it was really kind of like that you know at that time it was a lot of people most people were doing the uh you know wet polish 
mm-hmm. kind of salt and pepper finish where just a slightly exposed aggregate or or heavy mm-hmm. exposed aggregate mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. um so you know that's what i did wow all right yeah so and, okay go ahead so basically i did uh you know we did i did my countertops and at the time my wife was teaching and the art teacher in her uh in her school saw them and he was like can you make me a set so then it kind of went from there and then you know one thing led to another and i kind of just quit the uh quit the day job and made it a full-time gig wow great that's great um any feel i mean obviously failures along the way is part of the learning process but the first set of tops, the second, can you talk a little bit about the failures early on in your um, progress in concrete countertops? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, it's kind of embarrassing when you when you look back on it. But, <laughs> you know, the, the first the first countertops I did from my own house, I did them and it had a uh, it had a return on it. And I guess I was I wasn't thinking I was rushing. I forgot to flip the template. Mm. So I made them and I'm looking at them I'm like. These things are backwards. <laughs> 180 <laughs> degrees, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, it's just those little things that, you know, sometimes it slips your mind. And I knew better. You know, I had the training. I knew what I was doing. I just, it just totally slipped my mind in the in the moment. And uh, cast them, formed, you know, did everything, formed them up. And these fucking things were backwards. Well, isn't it something how like some of the smallest details have the most impact on the project? So just by glossing oh. over that little detail, it turned out to be a guard, yeah. you know, boat I mean, anchors. That, that mm-hmm. little tiny, yeah, that little tiny thing. And, and you know, <laughs> I got a couple guys working for me and, and I, I try to stress that the most is, is mm-hmm. we try to, I try to keep a process for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's got its process because as soon as you slip away from that process, that's when the mistakes happen. Yeah. Looking at the, like, I have, I made those kind of mistakes looking at it like the bigger picture and not worried about the little things because I just, oh, I took care of that. And then, because you're worried about these big things that could go wrong and then t- come to find out, oh, I messed up on this little thing. So I can relate to that. Yeah. I mean, you know, now we're doing, you know, right now we have a project that we're doing for uh, Rockefeller University. It's uh, some building cladding and these get, steel uh frames set into the gfrc with flex anchors and all kinds of stuff and and it's like if they make you know if you make one little mistake this thing's going you know 60 feet in the air hanging off the side of a building wow Mm. that paints a picture there yeah wow (laughs) you know it's like that's why it's every little thing has a process because as soon as you step outside that process is is really in my mind is when when things kind of go south yeah, it's almost like air traffic control type focus you need, you know, where, especially like you said, if you're swinging them with a hoist up there and, and dangling them off the side of a building, you better make sure things are penciled in. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, they got to be they got to be anchored properly. The, the mix has got to be spot on. You know, you don't want to have a shitty mix where something goes wrong or the bonding or something like that happens. Wow. That's, uh, let me ask you, have, have you do a lot of cladding, John? We do a, a fair amount. I mean, I would say it's probably a 50-50 split between cladding and countertops and, and some of the other, uh, you know, features like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, looking at one of your pictures, um, a piece that struck out to me, I'll try to give you a verbal description so you can kind of tag along with it, but it was kind of an ornate 
piece of uh, looks like wood carving, and it's got a lot of ornate details in there. Um, like, yeah, it's got some filigree and it looks like a crest in the middle. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We it, did. We uh, give me a description that on that. Was a, yeah, so that was a building on the Upper West Side. That was original terracotta, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we got called in to do that for uh, GFRC is a great replacement for uh, terracotta. Um, you know, there's there's only maybe two or three terracotta companies left. You know, after all this stuff, and you know, GFRC works great. The timeline is much faster because the clay doesn't have to be baked, doesn't have to be glazed, all that stuff doesn't need to be done. So, what we did was they they removed the uh, existing terracotta off the building because it was over 100 years old. Okay, hmm. and uh, we. You know, they ref- we refinished it, we fixed it up, fixed all the spots that needed to be fixed, took rubber molds of that, and then recast it out of uh, GFRC to match the uh, existing terracotta that was okay on the building. Interesting. Did you have to do any, like, clay touch-up within that just from, you know, natural decay, or was everything intact? Oh, or- yeah. No, so many pieces were cracked in half, you know. I mean, there was, uh, you know, we used... We used Bondo and stuff like that to fill in the cracks and fill in and rebuild, sculpt some of them out, okay. get them to back to where they were, how they should have been. Right. And I'm sure the um, project manager on that is overlooking that because it's a historical district of some sort where there's are there ordinances yep. and oversights in, involved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it was a historical building in New York City, so you're dealing with... Uh, you know, the historical society. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so everything's got to be spot on. Same thing, you know, with color and all that kind of stuff they want. There's a there's a range that they're they're willing to give you, but it, it's got to be, every cast has got to be almost exactly identical to the next. Okay. All and, right. And then, so those pieces also got uh, an acid wash on them to expose, for the mix, the uh, original terracotta had a, a splatter technique on it on the glaze so it had some black speckle in it mm-hmm. so we used black beauty and then did a uh a, a light acid wash on them to bring back bring out that black speckle what's black beauty black beauty's uh um it's a coal slag it's it's a black sand okay like a slag and uh, yeah. yeah it's a slag sand that's that's black i use it a lot for uh Anytime I do a black countertop that's got to be black or any pieces that we do that have to be a true black, mm-hmm. I find that to get that depth for black, it, it's, you really need to use the black sand. Right, because you're missing that like really rich, opaque look that everybody for that type of black that everybody's in strive for. Yeah, I mean, you know, black's a really tough color to get with, with concrete. A true black, you know, a lot of times, it, you know, and... and when you're dosing your pigments, you know, there's a point where you can't dose anymore. You're going to hit the wall of, it's just going to make the mix unworkable. Yeah, and it's not going to retain the color because you've it's misproportioned at that point, right? Where it, Yeah, you know, you, you, you can't put, yeah, you can't put 5% of carbon black or in, in the mix. It's going to be, it, it's just not going to be workable. I agree, and I think the black, like, there's so many flavors of black, right? You know, from you know dark graphite to charcoal to onyx to, you know, yep. anyway. And I look at it from an artist's perspective, it's just on the cool side or the warm side, you know, warm side of the yeah, they, you know subtle differences, but huge impacts. 
Yeah, I mean, and that was a huge learning curve for me. It was was color. Mm-hmm. You know, learning about about the you know coming into this, it was like, oh well, gray's gray. Well, no, you know what? Gray's not gray. There's, <laughs> gray's probably one of the, the the second toughest color besides black to to really nail. And you're dealing you with Portland a, cement, a, yeah. And you're dealing with Portland cement. The mother root. Um, I'm sure you're dealing with white as well, um, depending on the color yeah. that what you're going for. But that's what's strange about the whole deal. I'm, I do more topical on my side, but um, I can. I've definitely done a lot of integral, and um, it uh, it's it's tough to land that, that black. Yeah, I mean, you know, the gray. We use we only use federal white, Portland. Uh, because I've found too many variables with a lot of the other cements, and uh, what do you mean so variables? Only... Give me, give me kind of an overview. What do you mean, like, like uh, things that are degrading the strength, or just because is it that the natural gray it dries out to, or give me some some broad specifics? Just, you know, uh, let me think about this for a second. How can I explain it? So, you know, if you if you go and buy, say, you buy a bag of Lehigh white. Mm-hmm. I don't find the consistency in the color. You know, I can buy a palette of Lehigh one week and buy a palette the next week, and, you know, maybe it's a little more yellow. Maybe mm. it's it's not as re- – I find that the federal white cement, they really refine it really well, and uh, um, they – it just it just works every time. It's you know, I've used yeah. – um, yeah, Lafarge and, and some of the other stuff. Can you guys hang on one second? I got a guy just popped sure, in my sure. shop real quick. I need sure. Hey, uh, Jose, can I, I'll come back and see you in a few minutes. I'm just doing something on the phone. All right, thank you. Sorry about that. That's all worries. Matt can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the uh, as far as the the cements go, and, and with the gray cements, I just find there's too much uh, color variation. Interesting. The, the the inconsistencies in in the different brands, and then even within the brands, the the colors seem to to not be as refined. You know, I know when I buy a, a palette of Federal White, every time it's the same color, it's the same consistency, it works every time. We we go by, you know, I don't. Um, we're very again back to the process. We have a process for everything. We don't, I don't, these guys aren't allowed to add a little extra plasticizer. They're not allowed to take a little plasticizer out. They're not allowed mm-hmm. to add a little extra admix. We don't mix on the fly. That's the main thing with, you know, that's one of the processes is we do our, our homework. We make sure the mix design works and then we stick with it mm-hmm. because I can't take a chance, you know. They do. You do a mix, and this guy throws a little bit too much plasticizer. It starts segregating, sand sinking to the bottom, the cream floating to the top. You mm. don't know what you're going to get at the end of the day. Yeah. You do you think the inconsistency with the mixes is because the concrete uh, manufacturers and whole haven't caught up to the artistic side of the house? Absolutely. You know, Federal White knows if you if you talk to. Most architectural precasters, they're using federal white cement. I would say probably 80 to 90 percent are using federal white. That's the standard. Um, and, you know, for a sidewalk or a curb or anything else, these guys, you know, they can pump out mass quantities of, of the stuff. You know, it's a lot cheaper. 
it goes off the shelf faster. So, mm-hmm. you know, why why are they going to change their formula? They're they're mm-hmm. making money. Right. Yeah. Good point. That's interesting. Um, so you got white cement. So you like it because it provides a better fit and finish and the color at the end or like some of your cladding is going to be natural gray so talk if you're using federal right well excuse me federal white um talk to me about you know landing that that beautiful gray just kind of an overview for some of the new listeners or, or newbies out there uh, you know it's all in the in the pigment it's all in your in your colors you know i mean we sometimes we're, you know we really um you have to you know, sometimes if I'm trying to match a color, it's not odd that I'll do five or six color samples before I nail it. Mm. So that's all in the bid process. You know? you, you're, okay. So you're tinting. And, and bef- okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, John. Go ahead. I mean, even, and when I was just starting out, I mean, there, there was times I did 10 or 15 just to nail that color. You know, it's like, all right, well, this one reads a little too brown. Well, this one's a little too blue, or this one's this, or this one's that. You know, and it ends up being, you know, a learning process. And then, you you know, we, we have sample sheets. We track all our samples. Everything's labeled. Everything goes on the shelf. This way, when we have another color match, we can say, all right, well, it's close to this. Let's try, you know, dialing this back or adding this. And then we end up where we need to be. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds like you got everything kind of nailed down there. When you add a, a color to the mix, is it powder or is it uh, liquid? Powder. Okay. Yeah, we use we use all powdered pigments. Um, we we tried starting to use some of the granulated pigments, uh, but the problem with the GFRC is there's no aggregate in in the uh, mix to break up the granulated pigments. Uh-huh. So we started getting. It wasn't mixing fully. We would get pigment dots on the surface. It wasn't homogenized in there, like you're saying. It wasn't, yeah, yeah hot spots of color. Fully yeah, uh huh. Yep. Yeah, I've messed yeah. around with that. Mm-hmm. Um, your wood grain, um, beautiful stuff, um, John. We're looking at, Matt's got a picture up here now, and um, um, beautiful stuff. So, same thing there, federal white, pigmented. You got a process. You do any topical with any of those types of installations? With finishes? Yes, all all the wood grain stuff is uh, is stained. Beautiful. So we try to, you know, depending on the wood that we're trying to match, mm-hmm. is we'll come up with a base color, mm-hmm. and then work off of that base color with some with uh, different stains to uh, bring out the the grain and and uh, coloration of the of whatever wood we're trying to match. Yeah, the picture we're looking at is the country kitchen, the country sink, and our farmhouse sink with the uh, kind of a amber wood top and the old style yep. stove. That's really nice woodwork. I mean, the concrete looking like wood. That's really beautiful. Yeah, that was a fun that was a fun project. The uh, the homeowners were really interesting. They they have that old stove that they actually use still to this day. They converted it to gas. I think it's from like the 1900s. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they wanted to maintain that and they had some, some old, uh, cupboards that they had that they wanted us to match the, the wood to those. So that amber was matched off of the, uh, the existing cabinets in the, in the kitchen. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I mean, it looks from the photo, it looks like wood, like can't even tell. 
So, John, um, what would you say at a concrete countertop? So I want to get into cladding, and we will. But concrete countertops, if, if you get a call back when you do, if you do, what what are the, like the most common thing that you see in a callback? In a concrete countertop, in a kitchen. I'm kind of zeroing in, so I'm trying to narrow yeah. it in. So yeah, on a so, kitchen yeah, countertop. I mean, Top. You know, 99% of all your callbacks are going to come from kitchen countertops. I, I, I could probably mm. say maybe two or three that have come from vanities or any exterior stuff that we've done or anything like that. It's always it's always the kitchens. And, and in all honesty, 80% of the time it's misuse. Okay. You know, the, the homeowners aren't following the instructions. We I always try to give them a... Uh, packet that lays out you know what to do what not to do how to you know handle certain things make sure you know don't cut on them obviously when you spill something wipe it up the basic stuff and uh most of the time you know it's either when somebody left the stain sit overnight or a day or two or when you know somebody put something abrasive on the countertop and kind of slid it around Mm. But uh, usually, usually I'll, I'll give them a, a freebie, you know, the first time. Okay. You know, we uh, if they call back, I'll, I'll go back. I'll take care of it, reseal it, do whatever needs to be done, and then uh, kind of go over everything with them again. And usually, I don't hear back from them. When they call you, are they kind of like taking ownership of the the damage, or are they trying to like say, oh, you know, this didn't hold up? really depends on the customer yeah you know some people and and one of the things i learned pretty early on was to to choose your clients you know i i've told people straight out that concrete's not for them wow because it's 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 not necessarily for everybody you know the sealers have come a long way and and you know my confidence is building in that area Mm -hmm. but i you know it there concrete countertops aren't for everybody do you do there's certain people you pick up on that by like going to their house and seeing their current kitchen and their environment or how do you pick up on that? Yeah. You know, it is it, usually, I always, I don't really have anybody come to the shop and, and look at, you know, I don't have a showroom set up. I usually like to go to their house, bring samples, talk to them, see kind of what's going on in the house. And then really the main thing is, is the questions that they ask, hmm. you know, what, what about this? What about that? And, and if they seem to have a laundry list of concerns, that's a red flag, you know, makes sense with, with today's day and age, you know, I deal with a lot of people now who they Google everything. So when I go into a, into a house and they have a list and they've Googled and done all these things and they're saying, well, what about this? What about this? I'm saying to myself, you know what? Every little thing that happens, they're going to be on the phone calling me. Right. Yeah, you know it when they have you know put you on the witness stand and <laughs> you know and obviously yeah. the ever you know the ever present comparison to granite you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. You know, you're grilling me already before I even installed these things, or you've even seen the samples. And so to me, it's like you don't. You, this isn't for you. <laughs> I have a. Uh, I mean, the good thing is I have a, a marble and granite guy that has a shop next to me, and we have a great relationship. So a lot of times I'll say, "Listen, you know what." Go next door. Go next they'll take door. care of you. They'll, they'll do the right thing by you. 
get get your marble, get your granite, get your quartz. You know, the quartz companies have jumped onto the concrete bandwagon. They're they're starting to produce some stuff now that looks like really uh, concrete. Yeah, I've gotten a couple of calls. You know, we did we did a project probably about six months ago, an island, and and the woman uh, was looking at this product from I think it was Caesar Stone. It's called rugged concrete. No way. And it looks, you know what, it, lo- it looks like really, in my opinion, it looks like a really bad wet cast. Now, hold on. Is it a composite or is it concrete or it's a simulated concrete? No, no, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's the, uh, you know, man-made quartz, the resin that they use. Oh, boy, oh, boy. That's interesting. Well, well, I mean, I've read articles years ago that people were trying to get it mass produced like you're talking about now it sounds like they already got it on that level um for mass distribution yeah i mean the stuff is it's interesting looking it's not really my thing i I, i'm surprised that they're they're actually selling a lot of it you know and i've gotten a couple of calls because people that's the other thing that people don't realize is they a lot of people look they see concrete they think it's cheap oh how much is a bag of cement well it's not the bag of cement that we're talking about here. It's everything else that goes into it. That's mm-hmm. it. That's it. What would you be, know? I mean, what would be the benefit of ahead. using that product you were just talking about? That simulated concrete. It's cheaper. It's, it's got to be cheaper. cheaper. It's yeah. got to be cheaper, John. Oh, it, oh, it's immensely. Peanuts. No, peanuts. I mean, I mean, when yeah. when when he told me, I when I forget the numbers on the uh, the cost of the slab. When he buys the slab, it, it's if it's, I want to say if it's twenty five dollars a square foot for the slab, it's it, that's probably high. It's probably even cheaper. Oh boy! See, there you go. I mean, if we look at the historical references of everything has its cycle or run, right? Facebook has mm-hmm. a run. Bacteria has a run. And if we look at the concrete countertops, they've been around for like guys like you and you know Tommy T. Cook and and Cody Carpenter and Buddy Rose, all those guys, and. It's finally like it sounds like it's here, and like you can get it for twenty thirty. You can get a comparable look. It's not going to be the same thing that you're going to produce or another artist in, but just looking at the fact that oh yeah, I got I got some really concrete countertops. It looks like concrete because that's when you go on Pinterest. It's really taking an emergence. Hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, we've made enough of an impact on the market for somebody to take a look at it and say, hey, maybe we should jump into this game. Yeah, we're doing knock Well, that being cheap like that, what's the quality? What's how does it hold up? You know, the the man-made quartz is it's it's pretty it's a, you know it, it's it's a solid material. It doesn't uh, you know it doesn't stain it doesn't it's it'll scratch eventually. The thing is, is what I see is um, when I go into some of these showrooms, some of these kitchen places and stuff like that. If you take some of those quartz samples that have been sitting for a while and they sit in those racks, if you lift them up and they've been sitting in the sun, you can see they start to discolor. Mm. So I think over time, you know, that material is, it's, it's a, it's a resin. It's going to, it's going to yellow. It's going to, it's going to degrade. It's just a natural process. It's not going to last forever. Yeah. UV has its way on components. Let me ask you this. How does that, I know you're probably not a specialist on that system, but seams, you know, is there an added benefit of, you know, going around, you know, L's 90 degree turns and, um, you know, stuff like that. 
Well, you know, that's the key with, with the fabricator. You know, I've seen some guys do some beautiful work where they're doing, you know, they're mitering these edges and they're doing full waterfall edges and miters and drop down legs and all kinds of stuff. So they mm-hmm. can, you know, that's the other thing that, you know, obviously the concrete made a, an impact because people are starting to look at that and say, you know, and originally who was doing drop down waterfall legs? Concrete guys. Now you got these, these guys doing it. They figured out, oh, well, we can miter it seam it at the corner you're not going to see that seam as much and now we got a waterfall leg makes sense yeah yeah because it's a trendy look so um, what's a waterfall leg for someone who doesn't know i don't know go ahead john i'll let you field that question so what, what a waterfall leg is is when the uh countertop drops down uh, along the side of the uh, cabinet oh okay so it's a, it, it you know it's a resting leg. You at have that the point. top, and then a ninety degree drop that would go from the bottom of the countertop all the way to the floor. Okay. Just a monolithic top, and then leg down. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, but at twenty dollars a square foot, it's I mean for for the uh, frugal customers out there, I'm sure that's going to look very appealing. You know, as they you know, narrow down their bids and say, hey, you can get this for $20 a square foot, you know, and it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, you, you figure you figure that the, he's buying the slab for $25 a square foot. He's probably putting $30 a square foot on for fabrication. So by the time they get it, it's, you know, $50, $60 a square foot. I, I would think that those people, though, wouldn't be your clientele anyway because it sounds to me like the difference between someone putting in wood floors or, you know, linoleum that looks like wood. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, 80% of those people are not my, my customer. Right. You know, it's, uh, we try to, and the people that are my customers, they want concrete. They want concrete for a reason. They like the idea. They like the feel. They like the look. Yeah. It makes sense on all angles because it's, it is, it has an intrinsic quality to it that it's hard to describe, but you know, when you see it, you know, it's just, you you know when you see it and you know when you feel it. It's it's a mm-hmm. it's such a a beautiful medium that I, I've 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 talked to people about it almost being like a primal thing. Like we're attracted to it. It's almost in our our like genes or something that you know we have this attraction to concrete. Concrete's everywhere. They've been making concrete for thousands of years. I know. There is, you know, I think you're right. Head. Yeah, there is something spiritual to it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's just a it's it's a man-made stone. You know, you're you're making stone from your hands, and I think what you put into it, people can almost get out of it. You know, that's what I try to give to people. I try to put in as much of my spirit into the material that you know maybe they can they can kind of feel it and pick up on it mm-hmm. that's interesting we talked about that in one of the other podcasts that um harold speed wrote that book and um you know the science of drawing and then patrick webb you ever heard of patrick webb um john um no i don't think so he's on he's on youtube you can check him out patrick webb but he he's got a couple of different videos and he describes the old process or the old beliefs of the spirit that you put in or the or the energy I should say the energy that you displaced onto the item that you were building 
resonates with that client. Like you said, it has a presence to it because there was an energy transfer there. At least that's how I was interpreting it. So it's funny you're touching on that. Well, I, I get that. Oh, I think, uh, Go ahead, John. I think absolutely that's true. You know, I think that people can pick up on that and, and people that are in tune to it. Not everybody is. There you go. That's you know, a good point. Good point, John. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people that don't, that don't care. You know, there's, I mean, I've done jobs for super high-end clients. I've never met them. I've met the the GC and the designer. I've never heard anything back. I don't know anything about it, you know? So it really depends on who you're working for and, and how they, how they interpret the material. I think, uh, with a little bit of knowledge, like if I walk into a craftsman style home, that's let's say from like the fifties or whatever, and you see all the ornate woodwork, the craftsmanship that went into building it with hand, as opposed to like a track home today. I mean, I appreciate that, that, you know, because I know woodwork and I know how homes are built where someone else might walk into that room and not even have a clue and just like, Oh yeah, it's nice. There's wood, but not understand what went into doing that. Yes, absolutely. Now, John, um, obviously you, it sounds like a successful business owner. What do you think things are forecasting in terms of, of that or, or being a commercialized um, marketplace, you know, a lot of things you can buy online. Like you said, now you got the emergence of some synthetic concrete looks out there. Do you think that, are we going back towards that renaissance where people, like we've talked about in the earlier podcast to where, you know, people have had enough in terms of just buying the, you know, the Ikea or the box store thing, put it together. You know, do you think we're going to see an explosion of that? What are you, what are you forecasting? Um, yeah, I think I think people are getting tired of of the you know the IKEA stuff, the the Wayfair, all that kind of like they like the the idea and the concept behind those designs, okay. but they want they want to individualize it. I think more and more people, and especially some of the uh, what I've noticed is some of the older millennials that I've dealt with are really into the idea of, of customizing stuff and making it their own. Interesting. Yeah. I agree with that as well. And that's kind of how Etsy was born, right? You know, it's basically a marketplace for people creating things with their hands as opposed to like store-bought. And, and, and those people will pay for it. And even if they don't necessarily have the, the, financing to back it they'll figure out a way to get the money for the things that they find are important and, and they really do i think the a little bit of the younger generation is starting to appreciate the the finer craft and and some of this stuff more than maybe you know i'm i'm saying you know upper middle class people are starting to take a look at that and saying, wow, I can, I can do this. I can customize this. I can make this my own. Whereas before it wasn't really such a big deal. I think more and more people are starting to look to design. There's, there, there's more designers. There's more people looking to make things their own. And maybe it's because of, you know, HGTV and DIY network and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe it's just a shift in, in the way that people are looking at things and, and appreciating more craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it a little bit of everything, you mm-hmm. know. 
I think it's definitely headed that way. Um, and I think we'll look at the looks that we're replicating. A lot of it's like old world looks. I mean, Matt's got a picture up on the screen right now, and it's a picture of one of your, how would I describe it? It's like a riveted look, um, a bunch of strips. You got two strips, and you got a set of uh, button head rivets or buttons, yeah. if you want to call them that. Yeah, we yeah were, describe that. So that was a, um, that was, we were going to do a bar top, and they wanted it to look like the metal was, uh, the front banding was metal mm-hmm. of the uh, countertop. So we made the uh, we made some rubber molds, and then that's all topical on top of there. Uh, okay. With metallics, you know, some of the metallics in, in the sealer and to give it that metallic look. Yeah, it looks it looks great. Yeah, we're definitely going to post that picture on there so people can kind of connect and um, as long as we give a description. Let me ask you this. Why don't, yeah. I mean, I kind of already know the answer, but for some of the new listeners out there, why not just go metal there? And same thing, vice versa. Why don't just go real wood? You know, uh, we had Dietz, or excuse me, yeah, Joe Dietz, I always mispronounce his name. Yep. But we, we've talked about, well, why don't you just get um, the real wood? Talk to about that using, you know, making synthetic goods out of concrete. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the end, I think that's what they ended up doing because of the price point. Okay. Um, I think the idea that, you know, the nice thing about the concrete, you know, for the, for the wood look for, for different looks like that is it, it's going to maintain its integrity over time. You know, the metal in a bar situation, it's going to rust, it's going to patina, it's going to change. If that's what they are looking for, that's great. But if it's not what they're looking for, you know, it's not, it's not the perfect fit. For like a hospitality, especially like the hospitality industry, you know, definitely they need yeah. they need things more sterile and more, you know, cleanly and lack. Excuse me, ease of, ease of maintenance. It, it, it's ease of maintenance, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's you know that's a big seller for the for me with the wood grain stuff is because people will say, well, why 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 do you think I should go with the concrete instead of the wood? And it's well, you know what? Because if you get a piece of barn wood that's hundred years old or whatever we make this island top for you and do whatever we do and your kid sits down to do his homework and he takes his pen and he starts writing and he's going to impress into the into the wood mm-hmm. there you go you know you're going to beat it up it's going to get abused wood is not a good countertop it's you know it, it just doesn't hold up it's it's not that you know otherwise there would have been wood countertops for a long time but you know we found out early that doesn't work and they started covering them with formica and all different kinds of things to make it work better agreed yeah i agree um so i mean you know and and it's it's also kind of a good environmental thing like you know we're making we're making stuff that looks like wood that's concrete it's recyclable if you know 20 years down the line you rip your countertop out you throw it in they'll they'll crush it up and use it for a base in a roadway it's uh you know and you're not you're not cutting down trees or you're not adding more lumber just to make more countertops and more countertops and you know it's 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 kind of a good environmental thing as well yeah yeah i agree i mean we're definitely biased here (laughs) so at the beginning of the podcast you talked about how you got into concrete and then you said like your wife's friend wanted those countertops. So is most of your business come from word of mouth or do you do advertising? How do you get your clientele? Um, I would say 90% of my business comes from, from word of mouth. It's been, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had a couple of different companies 
Um, I've worked with a couple of different companies. It's been kind of a, a rough road in that end of the business. You know, I had a couple of partners that, you know, we, it didn't necessarily work out. And, uh, okay. so, but I've never been big on, on the website thing or Facebook or Instagram. I mean, you, I probably even just taking pictures of jobs. I probably have hardly any pictures of half the work that I've done just because, you know, a lot of the times it's, we go in, I'm just focused on getting the job, getting it installed, getting it done, doing what I got to do and getting out of there. And then, you know, I'm driving home and I say, I didn't even take a picture of that thing installed or I didn't take a picture of it in the shop, you know? So that's one flaw, I guess. But the good thing is, is I get a lot of word of mouth work. A lot of people, you know, refer me from friend to friend or contractor to contractor, mm-hmm. that type of a scenario. And I mean, we're, we're, slammed right now yeah well your work speaks for itself i think not everybody can say that or do that you know because that word of mouth if you're that good there's an old saying cream rises to the top right and you know if you're like top three they're going to call you and your pro- your price is probably reflective of that as well it yeah. should be well yeah and you know a big part of it is customer service mm-hmm I, I think that's a really important thing. You know, you got to make sure you don't burn your bridges. And, and there's times where, you know, it's tough because people will beat you up. But, you know, I'm looking at the bigger picture and I'm saying, all right, you know what? Yeah, this might be not the greatest situation, but let me make them happy. Do what I got to do to make them happy in the end. And I'll probably get a job or two out of it. And it usually works out that way. Well, that that. I mean, that's good to be on that side of the winning coin on that, you know, recasting the top on a pesky client and maybe still dissatisfied. We've all had those people we just can't make happy. They're they're looking for problems, right? But um, how do you navigate around those people till you still leave a positive impression if you can? Yeah. What's a tip? Hit me with a no, tip. I mean, you, you, you try to go above and beyond and, and you know, sometimes you're going to take a hit. It, it, it happens. It happens. It's part of business. You know, I, I, I say it all the time to, you know, it's one of the things I say to the guys all the time in the shop. I said, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But at the end of the day, you got to know you did the best you could for that customer. And you went out of here, you did what you could to make them happy, work hard, put everything you got into it. And, you know, there's some people out there that you're never going to make happy. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Now you still do wet cast, or what? What? So let's talk to a little bit about your flavors. So you do? I don't know. Do you do wet cast? You know, you do GFRC, and within GFRC, you're doing cladding, right? And kind of break that down. Give us kind of some overviews on that. Yeah. So I mean, I started out as a wet cast guy. Okay. We, um, that's kind of how I started. Then I got into GFRC. Uh, I still do wet cast occasionally, not as for. You know, uh, there's certain. With, you're getting muffled there, John. You're getting muffled on oh, the... I'm sorry. No, it's okay. There you go. Now Can you, you hear good. me better? Now you're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So some of the, uh, you know, it really, with a lot of these commercial projects, sometimes it, GFRC is just not in the price point. Mm. You know, uh, I, I bid a job just recently to do a bunch of uh, stair treads. I'm not going to do it out of GFRC because it, they're not going to pay for it. It'll be wet cast. It'll be strong enough. It'll hold up. And, uh, you know, we'll get it out the door. So I think you need to have as many tools in your box as possible 
as far as what you do. You know, you don't want to classify yourself as just a a GFRC guy or just a wet cast guy or, you know, just this. You, you should be able to do it all and, and have a little bit of a knowledge to be able to design the mixes to, to fit what the scenario is. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that, like, more tools and more weaponry in the satchel bag, you know, it's going to gonna bode well in the end. And then you got the cladding, right? You do a lot of cladding, a lot of, um, and obviously that's, you know, cast it in the shop and then installed. Outside, yep. Right? Yeah, we, 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 yep, we do all the, so we don't do, I, I don't do, actually, I don't do any installations anymore. I actually sub out all my um, countertop installations, templates, and then for all the, the cladding and all that stuff, it's, it's sold directly to either the architect, the uh, contractor, whoever's doing the job. And basically we, we pallet it up, they come and pick it up and they install it. Wow. How long, um, you've been, that's been running pretty smooth for you. What was that? I'm sorry. Is, is that been running pretty smooth for you? You know, delegating those tasks out and subbing that out. It's been a smooth ride. Absolutely. It's been, you know, it's been, it's been great. You know, I think the, I have the guys, they, um, come in and they do you know, usually all the jobs are for the commercial jobs. They get field measured. All that stuff goes through the architects and everybody else before it even gets to me. I get my shop drawings. We build the molds according to those shop drawings and send them out. I mean, uh, things happen. I just got hit. We, uh, we sent out 125 pieces and uh, about two weeks later, they called me up and said, we got a big problem. We, uh, we screwed up on the measurements and you got to remake all those pieces, but we need them like tomorrow. Oh boy. Wow. You know, and, and uh, you know, that was a long week. We, you know, I, I said, I'll get them to you as fast as I can, but I, you got to remember, I got to rebuild. I got to, cause I, I hold on to all the molds until the job is fully complete in case there's a, a problem, you know, this piece got damaged, this thing broke or whatever. So we make sure we have, we keep all the molds and I said, I'm going to have to rework all these molds, get everything going and recast all these pieces to get them to you. And, uh, I think we did it in a week. A week. So what are these pieces? What, what, what are they? Tabletops, wall pieces? What, what are we talking here? These are our, uh, our wall pieces for, um, they're right now that we're working on a job and it's, uh, it's for a curtain wall company. And basically what we do is we send them the pallets and they assemble the, the whole exterior wall mm. in their facility. And those panels are 16 foot by nine foot. Wow. That's nice. And size. then they take, yeah. So then What's they, the they take those. Of their pan, of these pieces I'm making have a inch and a half return on them because of the uh, the standoff that they needed okay. for the building to fit in with the the existing because this actually ties into an existing building. So they needed the the way that they had to build their walls and their walls I think are probably eight inches thick, maybe mm -hmm. total with everything because I mean they put the windows in they put everything in. And then basically those go on the back of a tractor trailer. They drive them into wherever they're going, and they crane them up and put them on the building. So that your product is basically bouncing on the back of the truck until it gets hoisted up in there. They're 
pre-assembling yeah. the other components, windows, trims, accessories, etc. Put on a trailer, yeah. strap it down, wide load coming through, and wow, yeah. <laughs> That's, no, it's pretty. I mean, the first time I went to there, there for. I mean, I think they have three hundred thousand square feet on the roof. They have a bunch of uh, airplane hangers, old Grumman at the uh, old Grumman facility, and they got a bunch of airplane hangers. I walked into one of them and I was blown away. I mean, it was it was enormous. They had big giant overhead cranes and. You know, they, they got an army of guys thin setting these panels down and doing everything. And it was, uh, it's probably it was where they built the lunar module. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it was, a, it was an incredible thing. It's like, wow, this is, this is, it's impressive to see. And then to actually go and see the, the assembled product is amazing too, because you stand back and you look and you're like, I made that. You know, it, it's 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 a great feeling. Yeah, it's a great feeling when it's up and it's in, and um, you, like you said, there's no issues. Um, let me ask you this: to rewind the tape back a little bit, out of the measurements, subbing that out, that portion, who eats that at that point? You know, the, the, you know what I mean. So you you have to fabricate now. There's an extra charge that means that it's going to backlog your current work. Talk to talk to us a little bit about that process. How do you yeah. handle that? No, I mean, that's on them. That's, uh, you know, I usually, you know, I try to be fair when things like that happen. Sure. Um, you know, cause I mean, I get it and I, I, I expect, I'd expect the same courtesy in return. So, uh, usually, you know, but that's, that's on them. So usually I, I have a formula that I kind of try to f- stick to when I have to do stuff like that and try to be as fair as I can, but I, I can't lose. Right. Something like that. Yeah, you throw them because a lot of the setup and head work is done, so you can kind of almost comp that, you know, um, because you're reusing some of the molds. So there is some price wiggle in terms of. Yeah, you got you, know, you got a little you got a little wiggle room in there, so you can you can kind of work with them a little bit, and uh, you know, and and look, it's it's a big customer. You know, you don't want to you don't want to say you don't want to piss them off. And then they say, oh, well, this guy screwed me. He charged me X amount of money. You know what? I'm not going to go to him again. Well, you charge him a premium. You know, you had to put a 24-hour yeah. night in, and then, you you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I charge him for the expedited time. I figure all that stuff out. I figure out, you know, what's, what's my labor going to cost me? What's this going to cost me? You know, all right, I might take a little percentage hit on the profit, but you know what? I'm still making that same percent on the overall job, which I had to begin with. So with subbing that stuff out, you haven't had any issues with callbacks for improper installation where they come back to you? No. You know, these, these guys that do my install, they, uh, that's all they do. Mm-hmm. They do. They do templates and installs. They, they actually laser template all the templates, and they print me out um, a vinyl sheet. That's the actual countertop. So wow. I, have, I have a vinyl mat that we lay out, you know, however we're doing it, and then we basically form right around that mat. So there's a oh, chance nice. of no, no error. Yeah. that's No, and, and it's beautiful because, you know, I mean, look, I used to do the same thing that everybody else does with the with the Luon sticks and, and building my templates and hot gluing them and everything else. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're driving back from the job site and it starts to rain and the hot glue, the, the Luon starts to get wet and it starts warping or it, it was a disaster. This is so, I have had, you know, I think two issues where one of them, 
it was this odd job that we were doing where the cabinets were um, steel. The, the fronts of the cabinets had been made to, uh, with a um, steel, and he got a weird reflection on the laser. And it, it threw the, the, the template off. But, you know, that, they, they ate that. They had to, you know, they went to install and the cabinet, the countertops were too short. Mm. And uh, we now had to remake them and, and they, you know, the templating company ate that. So on the install too, so they're coming, they're backing up to your loading dock, loading your product and then um, hauling it out there and installing it. Is that correct? Yep. Yes. And that's been smooth? It's It's been, yeah, I, I, like I said, I think I had I had two two issues. One of them was the one where they got the weird reflection with the laser and the other one was we did um it was a it was a difficult piece to do and they got it hung up in between two walls and mm. they cracked it it was a uh i think it was it was 12 foot long and it had a really large integrated sink but it was only three quarter of an inch thick yeah. That's, so mm-hmm. it, it was, it, and, and then it has this big heavy sink hanging in the middle and they, they went to, you know, so you got to lift it up high above the cabinets, get it in and drop it in. And it got hung up. It was in between two walls and it got hung up in between the walls and uh, they and, cracked it at the sink. Which it was already in a vulnerable position, like you were saying, you know, it was primed for, you know, for that to take place, you know, big old, oh, heavy, yeah. you mean, know, recess hanging down with all that surface area. Yeah, yeah. It was for I. I actually do back to the the IKEA thing, which is a. Uh, I have there's a Danish company that I, I manufacture all their countertops for them, and uh, what they do is they just, they direct their customers to buy um, IKEA cabinets, the all the base cabinets and the the uppers okay. without the doors, and they sell doors that are like high-end design doors. They do all different kinds of uh, finishes and different kinds of finishes for these doors. And then they offer uh, concrete countertops as well. You know, they offer a couple other uh, countertop things, but kind of ties back into that, you know, people wanting to customize, being tired of Ikea. But you know what? I think Ikea cabinets aren't horrible. They're, you know, they just kind of look standard with that door front but when you kind of jazz them up a little bit with these with these fancy finishes it, it's actually a nice kitchen interesting i'm gonna look into that that's i think that's holds true with anything right mm-hmm. you know there's different um artistic points or points of interest that are differently weighted so like the carcass is weighted different obviously than the door right you know raised panel design and different inlays of cherry wood and whatever the carpentry or the finished look you're going for or GFRC. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, who cares about the cabinet base? Right. Nobody's looking inside there. It's always like structural. Yeah. There's something about the particle board. You see particle board There's an instantaneous, you know, association. If it gets, if it gets wet, it goes to hell. Sure. It's, it's all, it's all downhill from there. But other than that, you know, I mean, I, I was in the house, it was a $25 million house, and I was looking at the, the cabinets, and I said, are these Ikea? And they said, no, these are from a, a, a special German company. I said, they're particle board. 
I, I guarantee you it's coming from the same factory who makes Ikea stuff, and this guy's putting his stamp on it, and it's a $25 million house with particle board cabinets. The effects of good marketing. It's, wow. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's great. You know, it, it, I was blown away by it. I said, I can't believe this. These people are paying how much money for this, for this kitchen, and they got particle board. <laughs> you get the same thing at Walmart. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So true. Um, you do a lot of work in, in New York City? Yep. New York City and the Hamptons is really my uh, bread and butter. You got any interesting city stories delivering in, you know, taking the elevator up, getting shut down? Sure. Oh, Fly, yeah, somebody we, we pulled got, the fire got, alarm when you're on the way up the stairs? <laughs> you know. No, we, we got stuck in a, we got stuck in, I was working on a, a loft. I did this whole loft. It was, it was a cool project. We did, I mean, I did, I did floors, I did vanities, I did kitchen countertops. I mean, we did everything in this place. And, uh, Where's this it at? was still back when, I, it was in, uh, Chelsea. Okay. All right. So, and uh, we're in there. And so when I was actually still doing installs, and we're, we we had to take the there was there was no elevator guy in the building. It was they just had a freight elevator that everybody used. Okay. So it was the old style elevators that it had a cable in there. So you pull the cable down to go up, and then when you got to your floor, you push the cable up and it stops. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're bringing in, you know, vanities and countertops and stuff, you know, and all of a sudden, I mean, it was probably, it had to be at least a hundred degrees that day. And we're, we're, we're in the last load. We got a couple, we had to finagle this one piece to get in, to fit into the elevator, right? So we can get it in, get it up the elevator, get it out, get it installed. And we're, we're halfway to where we have to go and the elevator dies. Oh. Dead stopped. We're trapped in the elevator. <laughs> No, so I'm, <laughs> it's it's me and three guys. It's a hundred degrees. We've been working all day, and they're like, and the thing is just dead. So I'm uh, we're calling. I'm calling the homeowner, and I'm going, I'm telling him we're, we're we're stuck in the elevator. She's like, well, just you know, do this. I'm, I'm like, it's not working. I'm trying everything. It's not working. We were in there probably for at least an hour. They had to get the maintenance guy to come. They had to fix the elevator. We're stuck in there. It was a disaster. Oh, man. <laughs> that's that's intense. Yeah, I mean, I could was... imagine being in there. You know, at the end of the day, you're trying to get it all sewed up. And um, I'm glad they got you out of there, obviously. Yeah, it was it was, it was was a rough one. And then uh, I had another one. It was, it was kind of a funny one in... Uh, it was actually for that same company, that Danish company, and uh, they were working with this designer. So they give us the uh, they gave us all the measurements we do we had to do, and this was a uh, a big it was two it was a big island with a waterfall leg, and then a big countertop integrated sink with a waterfall leg. So we get to the the template guy comes and he he goes and does his thing and he says. Uh, this, this, is, this isn't going to fit in one piece. He goes, you can't, you, you can't get it up the stairs. It won't fit in the elevator. There's no way that this thing's going in. So I call, I said, listen, we're going to have to put a seam in it. No, we don't want a seam. Mm-hmm. There's no seam. So I said, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. So the designer says, I said, it's physically impossible to get it up the stairs or it doesn't fit in the elevator. You, you know, the only way you're going to get this thing in is if you crane it in. I said, you're going to have to get a, a crane, lift it on, in, and drop it through the skylight. That's the only way you're going to make this happen. So she says, okay. 
she signs off on i you know i i I modified the contract saying you know we're responsible for getting it to the curbside and then you know these guys will be responsible for installing it once it's inside the inside the building makes sense your hands are washed at that point right yeah i i I gotta cover my ass Mm -hmm. so she signed off on it everything's good the the template guy says to me he goes you know what he goes i'm a little I'd, I'd prefer if you were here today when we when we do this install. Yeah, <laughs> you got roped in. <laughs> I said, so now we're, this is now. Oh, uh, you muffled, John. We're, we're, you're getting muffled here. Okay. There you so go. So this job is in uh, in Soho. All right, right. On Prince Street. Oh yeah. It's 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 right on Prince Street, and Prince Street's this tiny little narrow street, you know, but it's in the heart of Soho, and. Uh, so I said, right, well, well, I'll go there and make sure everything goes smooth. So we show up and we're waiting. So we'll wait the crane truck. Oh, he's coming, he's coming. So all of a sudden, this guy pulls up and uh, he, com- he comes out and he has like this like ladder truck. <laughs> it's got a little, like a little dolly on the back. And on the side of his truck, it says furniture lift. And it shows a picture of, of, it's a ladder truck that's got, you know, it's for putting couches up into these buildings. You know, they put the couch on this ladder truck and then put it in and then they pull it in through the window. So I look at the designer. I said, that's not a crane. (laughs) Oh, well, well, we couldn't afford the crane. So we found this guy and, and he said he could do it. I said, but how is it getting, I said, so I, I, I go, I said, all right. Yeah, you're not see. connecting the dots. Yeah. Yeah. I said, let me see. Let's see. You know, I'm all for teamwork. Let's get it done. We got the pieces here. Let's get, you know, let's get the job. So done. Let's yeah. figure it out. As, uh-huh. long as, it's, as long as nobody's going to get hurt and it's safe. So I start talking to this guy and I said, so you're going to hold, you take this thing up and then what are you going to do? You can you, you put it on some dollies and I guess you can slide it over onto the roof. And then I guess we'll have to try to figure out a way to get it from the, from the roof through the skylight, you know, and then the contractor on the job was like, well, I got some, I got some scaffolding. We can set it up up to the skylight and hand it down. (laughs) The more and more the people are talking, the more and more I'm going, this is a disaster. This is just a freaking. (laughs) Now time out, time out. Are you parked on the street with a parking permit at this point? (laughs) I mean, I know what Saul is. This is the best part. So, so, so then, you know, we're we're sitting there trying to dial us in, and, and the guy comes over in the ladder truck, and he says, "If we're going to do this, we got to do it quick because I don't have a permit, <laughs> and I'm going to have to block the street." So I look at him. I said, "I said, wait a second. So now, now they're talking about. Then he says, I can't. Nobody can ride up with the countertop. They have to go up on their own. So I'm saying, how the hell are we going to balance these countertops on this fucking? They're they're 12 feet long on this ladder truck, lift it up to the side of the building. Plus, now you're telling me you want me to have guys hang over the side of the building, hold these countertops off the fucking To land roof. it in. You're, you're landing it. Yeah, you're pulling them off. Oh, my. What a circus show, bro. Oh, it was, it was, it was, it was it, finally I said, this is it. I'm out of here. This, this is a fucking joke. So I go, I go back to the shop. And they called me there. I said, well, what are we going to do? I said, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to cut these fucking things in half. We're going to install them. And I'm going to microtop them. And 
that's the best I can do to not give you a scene. Yeah. So I had to charge him. I had to, you know, I said, listen, but you're going to have to pay me now because once they get installed, then I have to come back and I'm going to spend two days here microtopping these things, resealing them, setting them up. And, uh, you know, we did it. And the funniest fucking part of the whole story is that job made it into Dwell magazine. Oh, wow. Interesting irony there. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. One day I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling through it and uh, I look and I'm like, holy shit, that's the job we did in, in uh, Prince Street. I, this, this friggin' designer couldn't even get out of her own way to get this job done. And here she's getting, she's in freaking dwell. And it goes to show you, I mean, I mean, that's a lesson all on its own, right? Right? I mean, it's, I can't believe the guy didn't get a permit. <laughs> you know, he didn't have he didn't have a permit. He's, I'm like, you gonna fucking block Print Street? Well, I that's the thing. Those streets, streets are tight. Are, Those streets yeah, are tight. You you, I said we need to stop traffic. It's one one car, one way. You did, can't even really park on the. You know, there's really no parking. Did he show up with some cones and maybe a fake permit of <laughs> some sort? No, nothing. <laughs> put an orange vest on. Put the cones out. <laughs> he didn't have anything. He was a, he was a little Hasidic guy. Oh, I'm all like, right. This is what a racket this is, man. I said, I can't believe this. I said, how is this even? This isn't legal. But uh, I tell you, it's great. And then it made it to dwell. It shows you, you know, you overcame those battles. And how'd the micro topping come out? Were you were you happy with it? Were they happy with it? I, I mean, it was it was good enough for dwell. I mean, everybody yeah. seemed to be happy with it. You know, they you know we worked hard to get it because it's. I mean, you know, I I don't know if you've worked with a lot of micro toppings, but it's hard to get a microtopping really smooth to look like a cast countertop. Oh, I could imagine. And and what is the challenge there? Is it just getting to, what is the challenge? Just because it's not casted you know, that true uh, flat. Uh, if you have a light source coming in, yeah, you can see that, any that, variation. And the trial marks, you know, you're going to, you got, you know, you know, even when you trial super smooth and flat, you're still going to leave a little bit of a, there's always going to be a little troweling. So we I ended agree. up having, mm -hmm. we had to trial it out smooth, you know, and you got to watch, you know, over trial it and burnish it and burn the color. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and it was vertical. There was, there was the, the drop down waterfall legs. So we had to do, we had to do that as well. So you're laying up the micro topic on a vertical and you're trying to get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the edges, you're, you're sanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the corners, everything, you know, all the reveals got to be right. So we ended up, it, it was a little bit of a project. But, you know, we made it, it. They were happy with it. It looked good. I had to microtop the whole sink. That had to all get microtopped. You've had good luck with We've, sailors uh, over the years? This, the, uh, obviously, this comes up when I bring the GFRC contractors on, and or artists, I should say. And what you've had good luck with sailors, bad luck. Now you finally got it dialed in. Where are you at? I, I, I've, I've been happy the last couple of years. I feel like I've gotten everything dialed in pretty smooth. Mm -hmm. um, we've definitely, we've had our ups and downs. I mean, there was a, there was a point where there was some sealers that came out. And it, I, I thought it was going to, it was going to be the end. You know, I was getting some, a lot of people calling me back. You know, the sealers were failing. Yeah. And, uh, it's been it's been definitely a you know a rough road. There's been a lot of people that that haven't survived that. You know, there was a lot of guys that went out of business based off sealer I failures, just off failures with, with the sealer. Mm. Yeah, with the sealer failures, definitely. You know, um, that was a that was a tough thing. 
is it a topical thing? I, is it going back to like that 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 discussion of you know film forming versus impregnated slash part of the, the matrix? Talk to a little bit us about that. Yeah, I mean, I use a topical, um, and and I think if you apply the topicals correctly, you shouldn't have a problem. Um, is it a film at that it, when it's rendered out and finished? Does it, does it contain a film? Yeah, but if you it, you know the sealer that I use. I think it, it, the finish is, is really nice. It's It lays out nice. It doesn't feel, there's no build. Okay. You don't feel it. You don't see it. You know, it's not like a thick epoxy or a heavy build sealer. It's very thin. And I think that's the key to, to any topical sealer is thin applications. You know, when you start going thick and heavy, I think is when, when you start to have problems. I agree. Laminate, I mean, in any type of craft from painting Bondo work Multiple when you're laminating, yeah, you get a stronger, get a stronger um, adhesion, right? Because you're, it's worked in, it's thin. You, you know, a lot of the sealer based systems are, are based on like four pro, four steps, five steps, even mm-hmm. more, in different um, yeah. ratios. I think the key is to find something that works for you mm-hmm. and use it and stick with it. You know, don't don't jump on to the latest and greatest bandwagon without without doing your research. I mean, a perfect example is my my own kitchen countertops at my house. I have uh, a sealer that came out, and it was supposed to be the latest and greatest. And I said, you know, I, it was right after I'd gotten burned on, on a bunch of other sealers, and I said, oh, you know what? I'm in, I'm about doing my kitchen right now. Let me try it out on my kitchen and see how it holds up. And uh, We'll see what happens. And my fucking countertops are a train wreck. Really? It's, it's an it's a it's an embarrassment. People come to my house and they go, "This is what you do." <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> well, kind of. My pain clients get a different treatment, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was an experiment, and it, it went south. I mean, after they looked great for about six months, and then all of a sudden, I remember my wife calling one day. She goes, "Is it supposed to be peeling up?" And I was like, no. She's like, well, there's a lot of spots that are just peeling up all over the all over the countertops. And I was like, fuck. And uh, luckily, I hadn't used that that sealer on any jobs. And uh, yeah, it had about a six month life. And that's the thing, along and with I, anxiety medication to go along with that, you know, because it's. I I, I talked a little bit about when I had um, Deets on, and um, I did a top, and it was for a friend, in fact. And it was the same thing. It was delaminating. I, at least I found the smoking gun of why it was. But once they get it in their head, they're, now they're almost on the lookout, like the measles, you know, and then they're mm-hmm. looking for, is that, is that one about to happen? Or, or, and it's the, you know, you did, I did everything I could to and put me in a position to succeed. It's just the technology, I think, at that point in my education where it was, um, you know, late laid ground for that failure to take place, you know, not understanding. And you need track record. You need the proof is in the pudding, right? How long, like you said, six months, life expectancy out of your tops with the processes that you've um, used. Now you've changed that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I have, I have my, I, my brother, I did his countertops probably maybe seven or eight years ago. And they look, I go to his house and the countertops look like the day I put them in. 
That's a good feeling, right? I mean, especially when you're going out, you know, know, that's a good feeling. And and that's good because, you know, now when, when you get that call back, you know, you have that, that proof, you have that, well, listen, you know, you know, because right away, oh, you gave me this. I, I looked all online, and and they said it doesn't work, and concrete countertops are going to stain and scratch. You should talk to slow down. First of all, you you got a, a piece. You know, a, a example was it, it, this lady called me up. I did this beautiful island, and uh, it had a, a topical stain on it. Okay. And uh, she, you know, so then that that goes on the top, and then you know you, you see all over the top of that and everything, and. She calls me up. She's freaking out because the uh, it's scratched up, and now the, the it's scratching through the stain. And I'm like, "Well, you're scratching through the stain. What the hell is going on?" So I, I go up on? there. She's up in in New Rochelle. And oh yeah. So I oh, drive up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go up. Look at the look at the countertops. Start. She starts telling me, you know, and, and then it's just, well, what, what happened here? Oh well, my. My son-in-law was here, and we were making fajitas, and we were rolling the fajitas out on the <laughs> on the um, on the counter on the island. And I'm looking at her, and she she goes, and we were using this, and she brings out like a ceramic uh, stone uh, plate, and I, I flip it over on the bottom, and it's completely unglazed. Oh. And I looked at her, I said, I said, lady, this is like taking a rock from outside and rubbing it on your countertop. What did you think was going to happen? This, this isn't a defect in, you know, I don't care what you got. I said, I, you know, we did the island and then she had uh, natural quartz around the outside, which was beautiful. It was a, it's a beautiful stone. Okay. I said, do that on the quartz. She's like, oh, well, no, I would never do that. I said, so why is it okay <laughs> to do it on the countertop on the, on the, on the fucking island? Oh, well, it's concrete. Well, yeah, it's concrete, but it, it, it's got a sealer on it. It's decorative concrete. Yeah, it's decorative. It's not a sidewalk. It's not a stair. It's not a patio, you know. I mean, and, and take this outside and do it to your pavers. You know what's going to happen to them? They're going to scratch, too. And that's it. That's the client expectations, right? I mean, setting those early on, right from the jump, mm-hmm. and... And I'm glad. Yeah. What so what shook out with that? You had to do a quick repair and you know smack a hand and say no more, no more. <laughs> well, you know that one turned into a little bit of a headache. We had to uh, we had to sand it all down because to get the staining. So we had to sand it down oh. past the stain and then and then restain it. And uh, it, it's actually a funny story. My I have uh, I have a younger brother that's uh, 18 years younger than me, and uh, he was helping me. Okay. And he's been helping me. He's just been helping me recently. And he actually brought it up the other day. He says, remember when we were doing that island? He's like, I wanted to strangle that woman. He's like, <laughs> we had the whole thing. I stained it. The, I stained the whole thing. and restained it. You know, it was like a kind of like blotchy stain, you know, with some sponging and stuff like that to kind of make it look good. Modeled. Yeah. I, I, you know, redid the whole thing. And she comes in. Oh, well, what about that spot right there? Well, what about, and all right, I'll, you know, wipe it off, redo it. I think I did it three times. Finally, I was like, you know what? It's sealed. I can't do anything about it. I'll see you later. And that's it. And, uh, yeah, and then she actually called me and said, you know, she's like, oh, it's it, it looks beautiful. I'm happy. And, and it worked out in the end. But Yeah, that's it tough. Was, it was a rough one. Well, you've got to grind it all the way down and do it all over on site in New Rochelle. I mean, that's no, what is that, a two-hour drive for you? 
Yeah, probably about two hour drive. Yeah, so from Long Island all the way up, two hours. You get a sand. That's a day of process. You got to let it cure out before you seal it. That's a tough one. Out yep, of the five yeah, day so work it was, week, it's a chunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It was two days. Yeah. It's, yeah. Mm, yeah, that's that. That's a rough one. One of the things I have found, speaking of sealers, you know, we're talking about that is I've actually found a pretty decent market in resealing other people's countertops. Mm. Um, I've got, I started getting calls uh, from people and they would say, uh, I have this, you know, concrete countertop and it's, it's in bad shape. You know, you want to take a look at it right away. My first thing was, I, I don't want to get involved. I'm not going to touch it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I haven't, you know, and then I started coming back, you know, I started getting more and more calls. And so one day I, I was a little slow. I said, you know what, I'm going to go take a look at it and see what I can, what I can do. And, uh, I ended up doing it and we resealed it. The customer was super happy. I charged them, you know, I figured, let me figure out a way that I can charge them. That makes sense. So I figured what's it going to cost to replace the countertops? Cause that's their, their other option. And where's that balance? You know, how much can I charge a square foot to do the reseal? And, uh, you know, I kind of came up with about, I, I averaged between $45 and, and $60. Actually I did one recently with $65 a square foot to reseal. We charged. Wow. That's, um, that's good. I mean, that's, a great market for the services rendered, you know, um, mm-hmm. somebody, you know, that's amazing for the new, li- I mean, for any listeners out there, they got to say, with well, are getting slowed. I mean, maybe in a market area you should look at identifying if your area is hip, you know, New York, I'm sure has a different population density and different, obviously a different market than where Gunthmill yeah, is at well, in South I, Dakota. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's, there's a, I got it. There's a lot of people, a lot of concrete countertops. I have, you know, I got a lot of big players in my area for the for the countertops. You know, we have True Form and J and Lifestyles and Concrete Work East, and you know, there's some big there's some big guys out there. They don't they don't want to get involved in the resealing. You yeah. know, they don't they they don't have they don't want to do it. So they just basically blow these people off, and they're desperate because they like their concrete countertops. They just want them to be nice again. So there's a market, and, yeah, uh, there's a market for resale, and the profit margin sounds like they're pretty healthy because it, you're the kind of the only one maybe tending to that. Yeah, I mean, the one thing to keep in mind is is you got to cover your ass. You know, you're, you're the last guy that touched it, you know, and that's what I explained to them when they said, well, why is it so expensive? So, well, you're, here's your option. You can replace it, or you can have me come in and fix it, but I'm the last guy who touched it, so now... If there's a problem, you're not going to call back the manufacturer who did it and left you high and dry already. You're going to call me, and I'll come back and take care of you. Back to that customer service that you were talking about earlier, you know, providing that that residual experience. Yeah, and it actually, you know, one of the things that and – and, and it turns into leads. You know, people people find, you know, okay, well, hey, you know what? This person really loved my concrete countertops. I, this guy wouldn't come back and reseal them. You came and resealed them. I'm going to recommend them to you. And then I get I get more work out of it. Makes sense. Makes sense. How many guys you got on your squad? How many um, you employ right now? 
right now I have four guys on. Um, we're working on, you know, a couple of large projects. And uh, I kind of, I, I go anywhere between two and four guys. I'll bring guys on when I have a big project. And then if we slow down a little bit, I'll, I'll knock it down to two full-timers. I just lost a, a key guy. That was, uh, that was a little bit tough, but mm. you know, you, you get through it, you, you retrain and, uh, you move forward. Sometimes it's good to start new and, uh, you know, you eliminate some of the bad habits. Yeah. And new challenges are front of you because you, like you say, you got to retrain and mm-hmm. maybe you discover something new along the way that you glossed over on the first round, you know? Yeah, you know, you can correct some of the mistakes that some of the other guys are making that, you know, oh, well, you know what? This guy had a bad habit of doing this, so I'm going to watch these guys don't make that same mistake or fall into that trap. Yeah, I'm looking at your photo now of your Infinity Edge pool. With, uh, describe that. What do you got? Coping, casted coping? Is that wet cast coping done in place or, you know, with the one? Those were actually, no, those were, uh, those are, those are GFRC. Um, okay. We did those. We cast those in the shop. That was, uh, that was a real, I mean, that project was a lot of fun. We did, uh, another one where I, I did the whole house. I mean, we did the, we did the floors, we did the kitchen countertops, all the vanities. Um, I did uh, wall caps that run around the whole corner of the house. We did all the wall caps, uh, stair treads. What else did I do? Pool copings. Um, I made these, uh, he had these Mexican beach pebbles. That's kind of like one of the themes of the house. He has them scattered throughout all the gardens. I just seen that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those black, those black stones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so there was a, there was an oversight on when they graded the, the, the site and, uh, he has this beautiful, Zen garden in the front. We actually did copings for these reflecting ponds in the front of the house as well. And, uh, there's three reflecting ponds in the front and, uh, it's a really awesome, like Zen, like Japanese style garden in the front of the house. It sounds and awesome. they had, they had two septic covers that were above grade, probably by, uh, I, I think they were, they were 12 inches above grade. Okay. When they, so there was a there was just kind of a, a miscommunication or something happened, an oversight on the job. So he has these beautiful garden and then he's got these two septic covers sticking out. So I was talking to the builder and I said I said, what are you gonna do about that? And he says, you know, I don't know. We're we're trying to figure it out, but we can't we don't really have an idea of what we can do mm-hmm. to make it, you know, to look at I said I said, What about if we take these uh, if I take one of these Mexican stones, we blow it up and you cap it over the top and it'll blend in. He, he ran it by the client and he thought it was an amazing idea. So we, uh, he picked two rocks. We had them 3d scanned and then scaled up to size. I had him cut on the CNC. Mm-hmm. I had cut on the CNC machine. And then we, uh, we made rubber molds and, uh, we cast them. I'm looking at them now. Yeah, it was amazing. And, and, it's funny, I was going through your pictures, and I'm like, what is that? And then when you started explaining the story, I connected the dots. Yep. So amazing, and an amazing eye for design. I mean, that was a good good idea because it, it, it seemed there was a commonality in that 
that theming and that Zen guarding and you, you know, you took a pebble and blew it up like skill factor of, you know, 20, 30, 40, whatever it was. And amazing, um, amazing finish there. Yeah. Cause all around that pool, the, the tray that catches the water from that infinity edge, that trench is filled with all those pebbles. Yeah. Is so it, it, yeah. It tie, yeah. Amazing. Yep. So I can see that. No, that, that piece of architectural, I'm looking at that other little, um, squarish pond and you, there's a bench there that I caught my eye and a lot of it was the, the shapes and the style of that bench. So it's got kind of like baluster like legs and it can't comes up and it's got the arms that do a radius. You, you, you follow along with my description. Oh, in the picture over there, that bench that's uh, yeah. along the side of the house. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Did you do yeah. that as well? No, that's that's actually original, like probably hand carved. You know, who knows how long, how old that thing is. Hand carved what? Concrete. That's it's all. No, that's wood. Beautiful. The gray, the gray piece of wood, right? Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful piece. I mean, I mean I'm looking at it now, and I'm like, I mean, just so, somebody's got to recreate that in some form. That is beautiful. Just the style. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of this. That house is. Uh, it's in. It's incredible. I. I I'm not allowed to show any interior sure. pictures. Sure. Uh, yeah, because they haven't uh, they haven't released anything. But we did some really cool stuff in the interior of that house. Is uh, it's it's I mean, the crazy thing is is it's it's a it's a postage stamp by Hamptons. You know, it's only three thousand square feet. Mm-hmm. So for uh, for the Hamptons, that's that's nothing. You know, they they're ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand square foot homes out there. You know, they're giant. But the, the really cool thing is, is everything in this house is so custom. It was actually a $6 million build mm. for a 3,000 square foot home. Wow. I mean, it was, you know, the, the, the pool, that pool was $300,000. I know. And like you were saying, in comparative to the other um, residences there, it's... It packs a lot of punch for a small little square foot home. Yeah, I, I, the the um, I've never seen the ceilings in that house are, are what they call like a level five finish, so they're completely glossy and they are. I've never seen they're super flat, you know, because with the gloss you're going to see every little imperfection, of especially course. on a ceiling. Especially on a ceiling, the a lot of bounce light. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the craftsmanship that went into this house, this. This builder is 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 an amazing builder, and I'm you know I'm I'm actually blessed to be working with them because the work that they do is phenomenal, and uh, it's it's a great thing to to be able to work with people who who are also have that that drive to perform and put everything they have into into a project. That's, which is uh, yeah, which is you know kind of sometimes a rarity. So working it's in a that- rarity. Working in the Hamptons, have you worked for anybody famous that we would know of that you can disclose? Um, I I have done some work for some celebrities. I I can't tell you know I can't say who I've done some work for. Mm-hmm. I actually uh, there's a there's a funny story about that. I I did a we did a job for a celebrity and uh, they wanted it was an interesting project and. Uh, there was there was a floor that needed to be done, and I hate doing floors. I, I do them every once in a while, 
I, I decided I was, I was too busy to do the floor. I said, I could do the other parts of the project, but I'm not going to do the floor. So I brought in a guy to do the floor. And, uh, so we take a ride out there and I tell him, okay, look, this is who this, this house is. This is who the project's for. Just, you know, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. We go out there. We look at the job. We do it. Two days later, I get a call from the contractor and he says, uh, what the fuck is wrong with you? I said, what? He goes, are you some kind of fucking asshole? I'm like, whoa, sorry, hang on a second. What, what are you talking about here? I, I didn't even start the, I didn't even start the job yet. <laughs> How am I an asshole? He says, take that shit down right now. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I have no idea. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, it's like Monday morning. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy? Is this, I'm like, hey, is this a celebrity drugs? telling you this personally or the, the, no, uh... no this is, this is the contractor. Oh, the contractor who's he's, handling the he's, project. He's, mm-hmm. he's fuming. He's like, get that shit down. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck you were thinking. I'm going to fucking kick your ass. You're lucky I don't throw you off the job. No. And I'm saying, I'm, I'm going, what What are you talking about? Well, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I'm totally clueless. He goes, the posts on Facebook and Instagram. I go, what are you talking about, Facebook and Instagram? <laughs> He says, he goes, I have no, no clue what you're you talking about. You got the wrong guy. I said, I have no idea. Well, this fucking asshole that I took to the, to look at the floor job decided to go and post pictures. <laughs> Not only did he post pictures, he says, who's this for? And post pictures of the inside of the house. Oh, man. Violation. Now, and then he posts, I, I can't really, I don't want to say sure. where it is. Sure. Um, but it's, it was a very specific area mm-hmm. of location. So apparently this particular celebrity had some, some, uh, uh, stalker issues. So there, oh. they had, they had a security team that watched, you know, online and all that sure. kind of stuff. And they picked up on it. Oh. So they called the contractor and they were like, tell that fucking concrete guy to keep that shit down. So immediately he thinks the concrete guy he calls me. That was right. you. <laughs> that was me, but now I'm 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 guilty by association because I brought this dipshit in to, to do the fucking floor, and he decides he's going to make a career out of this one job. So <laughs> you know I'm doing the work for the celebrity. That was the slingshot effect he was going for. <laughs> so when you work jobs like that, do they make you sign like NDAs? Um, it 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 depends on the project. Yeah, yeah I mean I I sometimes I have to sign. I had to sign an NDA on some of the, on a couple of the bigger cladding projects that I've recently looked at as well. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, what, the story would have been much juicier if we would have known the names. <laughs> yeah, right. But it's all good. I understand. <laughs> yeah. No, I, no. I, trust yeah, me. I, I, I trust me. Because it's not worth it. I know I'll be getting another phone call. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, trust me. It's, it's all good. Um, well, listen, we were talking about the vertical not that long ago too. Um, and we talked about possibly putting a class on John, and, and, and we think that the vertical does have um, a part and parcel in the industry in terms of high-end rendered pieces on the GFRC yeah. level. And I know being broad with when I say GFRC, but <clears throat> in comparison to some of the, the trainings I've done, the portion of the people or the students come majority from the – entry concrete, you know, foundations, um, yep. stamped concrete. Now that's moved into like, um, 
you know, lower third of the wall, doing a little bit of vertical stamping. Now you're doing the fireplaces, the hearts. It's kind of trickling in, and I'm seeing an, um, a movement in which the GFR Sears or the concrete countertop guys who already have an eye for design, they have a pretty skill set, I think, in my opinion, well, with a, an eye in design. Go ahead, John, jump in. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. And, and I think the interesting thing about that is most of the GFRC guys that I know, they didn't come from that industry. They came from all different kinds of weird backgrounds. You know, you got a guy like Joe Dietz who's, uh, who's making movie props. Right. Now he's making countertops. You know, I mean, uh, a buddy of mine uh, out of uh, State College, PA, Mark Podersky, he's, uh, he was building skateboard ramps. And then really? he got into doing concrete countertops. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, in my background, you know, I came from the landscaping, you know, I, I started, I was working for a landscaper when I got into it, but previously before that you know i i used to i worked in the music business for a while mm, interesting. So doing was, what doing what in the music industry i was a um i did live sound and also did a i was a maintenance tech mostly uh maintenance tech for uh recording studios so we would do um we would wire and uh build recording studios and then we would go and work on the recording consoles the tape machines all that kind of back when they still use tape machines and uh well, they still do in sound city <laughs> you ever see that documentary sound still city do, you know i mean it, it's nice to see that that nice two inch uh real the real tape machine every once in a while you know there's there's nothing that sounds like that yeah there's a really cool documentary called sound city that uh dave Grohl from the foo fighters and originally nirvana uh -huh. he bought the um the board that was like a tube board i guess um, yeah, I'm not an engineer or anything like that, so I'm not sure, but, um, it talks about there was like only two in the world and the original was at sound city and then sound city went, you know, bankrupt and shut down, but he ended up buying that board and then reopening sound city. So that's where like Fleetwood Mac, Tom Petty, all the yep. big bands recorded there because they had that unique raw I think I, I think sound. I've seen that it's a really good documentary. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that. I think it's really cool. And they kept it pretty vintage inside. Yeah, it was just well, like a shithole. Original decor. <laughs> yeah. Original decor. Yeah, shag carpet type stuff. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, when a lot of those studios died out, you know, it was after, after I lived in, in, um, in the city for a while, you know, I moved out from Long Island into the, into uh, Brooklyn when I was 19. And, uh, you know, I started working in the music business doing that stuff. And, after September 11th, that was a massive hit in mm. in the music business in New York. Mm -hmm. it, it, a lot of the studios were shutting down. People, the artists didn't want to come to New York. They, you know, it was like a it was like a double attack with between the you know what happened in September 11th, and then all of a sudden now you had all this digital stuff that was starting to sound good enough, so they didn't have to book these big studios. You know, and a lot of the studios took a big hit and started yeah. going out of business. So that event triggered another. That's that's crazy. So that event kind of opened a new door for a different type of um, conditioning to the sound, right? Uh, yeah, I I think so. I think it played a big part in in, in what happened. You know, um, I used to work a lot at, at a pretty famous studio down there called Green Street, and you know they did a lot of really cool stuff they did a lot of the early hip-hop records and stuff like that and then you know it, it just it just slowly died 
mm-hmm. after that. What do you mean early hip hop records? Know? What do you like? Like, give me like, for some for you instance. know Run DMC and, and, and stuff like that. Really? Yeah. Oh, you know, and they, and mm. it was it was cool stuff too because it was like um, I'm trying to think who it was, but uh, they would also so they would have like Studio A and Studio B, mm-hmm. and they would have I'm, I'm trying to think who it was. I think it was it was Public Enemy. Sure. And, uh, Chuck D. And yeah, they had Public Enemy in, in, you know, Studio A, and then they had Sonic Youth in Studio B, and that's when they met each other and they collaborated together on stuff. Oh, you know, cool. So it was like, it was an interesting time, because you had, you know, this, this mix of people kind of like, it was, they were both like, kind of fringe at that time, you know, hip-hop wasn't mainstream, Sonic Youth sure wasn't mainstream. Did they do that before Run DMC did the mashup with like Aerosmith and stuff? Were they the first ones to do like a, a kind of like a, a collaboration? Not, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. I would have to. I'd have to. Uh, but I mean, that, that was the kind of stuff that was going on then. Yeah. You so know, yeah, it was an interesting yeah. time. Well, those were the glory years. Some of us, you know, those were like the golden era of that level. Everybody had their golden era, right? Every generation. And I, that's pretty yeah. much my golden era. Is like Run DMC and. That era, I grew up in New York, so hip hop was. That's when I actually listened to rap. Rum DMC, Kumo D. Um, uh, what was the other? What was the big fat guy's name? Uh, Heavy D. Heavy D. Oh, Biz, uh, Biz Marquis. Yeah. Oh, Biz Yeah, that's a throwback. He's from Long Island, right? He's from from Long yeah, Island. I think yeah. So. Too short. Yeah. Too life crew. You know, that's that's when New York was gritty. When New York was like the you early nineties, like, yeah. The, well, you know, you, you, yeah. New York's now. It's like you go to Times Square. It's like you're in Disney World. That's what it was in New York. We, we talk about this, you know, ex New Yorkers or people who kind of relocated, but it's not the same. I mean, the um, um, the mom and pop shops are starting to like decline, so you, you're just getting a more commercialized feel. Yeah, like Soho's like all hipsters now and stuff, right? Well, I don't. Well, I mean, yeah. Soho was just always, I mean, that was, that was like all fashion and all kinds of, that kind of stuff going on in there. But yeah, it's, it's. Except for Chinatown. I remember. Yeah, Chinatown, at least in Manhattan, um, you know, Canal Street, down in Mott Street, those areas. um, Still pretty authentic when I go there. I haven't seen much shift. I mean, still got the ducks hanging in the window. You know, you got your knockoffs. Yeah, Chinatown. Mm -hmm. Chinatown's actually, uh. Chinatown's actually like increasing, you know. They're they're actually taking over Little Italy. Yeah, because I know they neighbor one another. You know. You know, little little Italy's like shrinking. Well, I, I was never a fan. I was never a fan of the the Manhattan Little Italy as opposed to the one um, in Ontario. In Avenue. the Bronx. Yeah, in the boroughs. Yeah. You know, it yeah. got commercialized, right? Um, yeah. You know, but uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's funny. That's yeah. cool that you were in that. I mean, that's so. What a vortex we live mm-hmm. in, you know. That's really cool. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, like the Lower East Side, you know, I, that you go down the Lower East Side now, and that's full. It's like it's all high end condos. That used to be gritty. Like yeah. you talk about the like yeah, LES. I mean, I, I, it was called LES. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I, I I grew up. I was like an old. You know, I was like a, a little punk rock kid. So I used to go in there and go see. You know, punk rock shows down on the Lower East Side. Is it was a place called ABC No Rio that was like a, a punk squat, and they used to put on uh, shows there. You know, it was bombed out building. They, you know, they they stole electricity, whatever they needed to do. And now you go there, and it's it's 
luxury condos. I did a I did a plaque for the front of one of them, and I was blown away. I'm like, this is on Clinton Street. Hmm. Isn't that cool when you did work and you're coming up and you know you you've had this portion of your life, you know, being a not sound engineer, but for lack of better terms. And you're doing work right around in that area and how one path kind of overlaps. And, um, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, I mean, and the, the great thing, that's what I love about doing the cladding and, and that kind of work is it's going to be there for my kids, kids to see. Oh, absolutely. That you is know, a good the, point. The, good point. The, the countertops, the, the countertops and all that kind of stuff. It's okay. You know, maybe, maybe it's got 15 years, hopefully 20 but they're going to change their kitchen. Somebody else is going to buy the house. They're going to rip it out. They're going to do whatever they're going to do. That stuff's there. It's going to be there forever or, you know, a hundred years, hopefully. That is pretty cool. So you do a lot of cladding in the city then. I mean, obviously the built bu- bu- buildings, anything noteworthy, yeah. anything noteworthy we should know that you installed, um, any prominent type of installations? I mean, the, the one project we're working on now, we're working on the second phase for it's, uh, for Rockefeller university. Oh, okay. So that's a pretty, uh, mm-hmm. that's a pretty cool high end, high end project. Hmm. Interesting. Where is that? Where is Rockefeller University? So it's up. It's by York and sixty-first Street. Mm-hmm. You pass underneath it. You actually drive underneath it on the. Um, what is that the FDR? Okay. When you so you actually you know when you go underneath that one there's like a building. Mm-hmm. When you're coming up on, like in the '60s, there you you come right up and you go right up underneath one of the buildings on the yeah. uh, on the campus. Mm, interesting. Good. Well, yeah, that sounds that sounds like hot stuff. Um, Wait, so do most of your clients now come from um, general contractors, or do you still deal um, a lot with the public? You know, it, it's a mix. I get, I get, you know, homeowners that contact me, uh, contractors that contact me, architects, designers. It it really depends on the project. Um, so yeah, just a mixed bag, it, you know, just a yeah. It's, it's it really is a mixed bag. It's it's a it's kind of a hit and miss. I mean, you know, I I, I enjoy working with some of the homeowners. Some of the homeowners I can't stand, but. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, that kind of goes for overall with everybody, you know, there's, there's good contractors, there's bad contractors, there's, there's good designers and there's really bad designers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're just looking at your pictures here. Beautiful work. Um, you're just kind of well balanced, everything from columns, caps, different times of different types of precasts, lettering, beautiful. And that Yankee table. You know that Yankee table came out real nice. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be was, posting pictures that on a, that. That was a really cool project. The the guy that we did that for was a a Yankee fanatic. He was he was totally nuts. He um, <laughs> he was obsessed with the Yankees. He had he had the Yankees Mustang. He had the old turnstiles from the old Yankee Stadium. You walked wow. into his backyard. You went through the gate, and then. He went through the turnstiles. He wow. had uh, he had a bunch of the old bleacher seats all set up in there, in the backyard, throughout the backyard. Um, you walked into his house, and then he had his office kind of off to the side. When you walked into his office, he had he had a custom rug made with the New York Yankees logo in the rug. 
Oh man, yeah, he was fanatical. And you did the oh, you, did, you did the logos just with with concrete, pigmented concrete, right? That's not a decal. Yep. That's you know no, in no, there exactly. or any type of any trickeration there, right? That's just good old fashioned. Talk to us about that. That's, yeah, that's all. That's all concrete. So what we did was we had the um, the logos cut, uh, laser cut, uh, eight inch um, acrylic. Okay. And uh, then we cast the void into the uh, into the countertop, and then uh, we cut that acrylic out, and then filled it with the uh, with the with the colors. Mm, beautiful. So we did a mix, and then you know, kind of got it to self level and trialed it out as smooth as you could, and and went back and sanded it flat. Well, contrasted on the white, it came out real crispy. The details are very defined. Um, and anything oh, yeah. like that with that dark royal blue uh, NY logo on the white. If there was any yeah. any undulation in that, um, it would have been picked off. Oh yeah, no. I mean, it had to, it, it came out. We it was it was great. We, and and that was you know keeping those lines clean was was hours with the Dremel, just just grinding away very slowly and easily, just get to get that nice crisp line. Okay. Quick overview of your childhood. What interests you as a childhood? So now here you are at what? How old are you, John? Forty-two. Forty-two. All right. Same age as me. So here you are, forty-two. Um, we're entering the autumn years, if you want to call them that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So as a child, like from age twelve and on, you know what? Obviously, this all plays a part in where you are today. But what interests you as a kid? You know what really kind of you know made you tick? You know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I was like a skateboard punk kid, you know. Really didn't have. Uh, were you artistic? Were you besides music? Were you music into music? You know. Yeah, you know. I mean, I played guitar. I was a music. You know, I was kind of always playing in bands and stuff like that. You were uh, gigs, doing gigs and stuff. Yeah, you know. And then I, I, um, I enjoyed. I used to do uh, pottery. That was an interesting thing. That was that was probably the closest artistic thing I would say that that mm. I really did. Mm. You know, throwing pots and, and working with clay and stuff. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, because just looking at your photos, you, your design is, is very solid. It looks it's very nice. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, any questions you want to bring up or um, anything you want to kind of talk about? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think we covered it pretty, uh, pretty solid. You know, I, I guess... Oh, I want to touch on something, the PCI stuff. The, the, um, talk to us a little bit about the importance of that and what it's there for. And um, What was that? The PCI. We've talked about that in the past, um, PCI certification. Um, okay. For, for like new listeners slash people that are experienced, kind of, kind of go over that, the importance of that, and why is this over? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, one of the important things is – you know, like I said earlier on, I, I talked about process and trying to keep your process. And, okay. You know, make sure you have your process. And, and that ties in with, uh, you know, with the cladding and all that kind of stuff. I, I have to I have to provide testing. You know, we have to make sure that what we're putting out there is going to is going to perform. So, you know, you got to get you have to, I have to have my mixes tested. I have to have materials tested. I, I test periodically. You know, one of the great resources that I've I've had with that is is Trinical Test Your Mix. 
So even if you're not doing uh, cladding or anything crazy like that, I, I think it's it's nutty to not take them up on that offer to know what you have to work with. You know, because it's important. You want to know what you're working with because you can think you have the greatest mix in the world. Go get it tested, and it's going to test out at 3,000 psi, and you're going to go, "Holy shit, this thing sucks." This, yeah, the numbers don't it's lie, like, right? Because you really don't know the numbers. The numbers don't lie, and I've been I've been surprised, and uh, I have I've been let down. You know, there's I, I did a mix, and it looked beautiful. The the way that it, you know, I I had all kinds of. Uh, different gradations of sand and I was, you know, I was, oh, this thing is going to hit the, hit the, it's just going to blow off the charts. And it, it, it ended up testing out at like 7,000 PSI. Oh, and that's, you know, being a vertical guy, that's on the low side, right? In seven, I, you know, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's what are you shooting you know, for? What we're, what we're achieving now, you know, I mean, I, I'd say an average, a good average, what you, what guys should be really looking for is between 12 and 15. You know that's that's easily doable. Wow, that's that's. You know, I've I've had I've had some mixes test out at twenty thousand psi. And with the latest technology, again, forgive me for my naiveness here, but um, um, as you increase psi strength, flexural strength goes up as well. It just tags right along on a lower scale. But is that still yes. a true fact? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Okay. You know, I mean, I I've had some of my mixes test out at at. Uh, uh, 2,500 PSI flexural. Oh, wow. You know, so we did a, uh, I came up with a mix for, we had to do uh, 5,000 square feet of four foot by four foot tile. And uh, the problem was they didn't have, <clears throat> the way that all the doors and everything were in the house already, it was an existing home. Mm -hmm. It was a uh, renovation. And we had to make the tile. They originally wanted them at half inch, and I said, I can't do them at half inch. I, I don't feel confident in, in the material. Sure. You know, sure. four foot by four foot by half inch, is, it's, that's, that's pushing it. It's eggshells. So we, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, we bumped it up to, uh, we bumped it up to five eighths, and, uh, you know, we did, we did 5,000 square feet. And no problems. Mm -hmm. Solid, rock solid. These things were super solid. I mean, you know, I got a couple. It's <clears throat> I have a couple that I, I put around. The, the kids have a little pool in the backyard, and I uh, I put a couple of the rejects that we, uh, you know, I didn't send to the job site uh, around the pool. And, you know, they're just sitting on, not even in sand. I just kind of leveled out the ground a little bit, threw them down. And, you know, they're not cracking or doing anything. It's, it's pretty impressive. That is. What do you think that is at 5.8s? You, you hit 12,000 on those? I think I hit over 12,000 on those. I think it was, it's probably, you know, like I said, the flexural strength on that was, uh, I, I really wasn't concerned with PSI on that. So I only had the flexural tested just because I wanted to make sure that they were going to be stable. You know, the flex, if I knew the flexural was good, I would know that the PSI, so the t PSI was high enough that I would say they were probably pushing 20,000. And you said, who's running that program? You can get to, you can get it tested for free. Did I hear that correctly? It, uh, Trinical, if you're using Trinix Mix or their products, they'll they'll test your stuff. Interesting. Good. Yeah, that, I mean, and, like you said, and you yeah. know what? Uh, you, you know, I mean, it, it's a, it's a good thing to do. This way, you know what you're working with because everybody's sand, everybody's environment, everything is different. Mm -hmm. So you got to make sure you have 
what works for you and and stick to it. So true. It's so true. I think that like buying a bag of flour, you know, from the grocery store, you know, you can probably be pretty, pretty consistent across the United States as far as the goods. But back to your federal white Portland cement discussion, the quality yep. control measures, like how do you, you know, quantify that? Like you said, the sand gradation here, Portland cement that I spec'd out here, it's so hard to know. That's why I do a lot of my trainings on site. A lot of people, you know, requested to come out my way. But back to what you're describing, John, um, your environment plays a large role in the yeah. I mean, you know, heat and how yeah. yeah, I I mean, it's it's a it's a chemical reaction. So you're gonna have you're gonna have you know what's your humidity in your shop, what's the temperature in your shop, what's the temperature of your of your bulk materials. Where you know we you got to know all these things because it's a chemical reaction that you're that you're you're doing. So in order for it to come out right, you got to have consistency. So it's uh, it's important to know and and to know what your end result is. So you know, let me ask you something. All that kind of stuff. So let me ask you this. So for employees, um, let's just say two hardcore two that you kind of swap in and out as business goes ups and down. What are you looking for when you interview someone? You know, there's a very strict, probably tight person, right? In terms of um, how are you gauging them? So, because you know, it takes a specific personality set that's going to probably succeed with your, sounds like stringent processes that we maintain that integrity. So what are you looking for? I'm just helping some of the other guys out there that are scared to take that step into for them hiring someone because for the farther quality control, how do you really know that they're following your processes and when you go to sleep at night, you're not stressing out about it. So you, now your quality of life has went down because you bought a guy on because now you're worried he's not doing it. Oh, Maybe you said know, some I mean, light there. Yeah, I, I've been down that road. I mean, the, the key thing that I find is, is that I want to find, I try to find guys who seem that they're going to be passionate about what they're doing mm. and they're, they, they are going to enjoy the work. I don't, I, you know, I tell them when I, when I talk, you know, when I interview a guy, I talk to him, I tell him, I tell him right out up front. I said, listen, I want you to be, I want you to want to be here. If you don't want to be here and if you're looking at this as just another paycheck and another way to collect some money and, you know, this is just a job to you, then just turn around and get out the door right now because I don't need it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have the time. I don't have the energy to chase you around and and worry about you screwing things up because I've I had I've had those guys, you know, uh, and and you know they look at me like I'm um you know it's McDonald's and they're just here to collect the check and it's like, no this isn't this isn't McDonald's. If you want to work at McDonald's, go to McDonald's. I'm paying you better than McDonald's is paying you, and you're getting to do a really cool job. I don't know what else you want, you know it, it it's it's kind of a given, you know, and if you don't want to be here and you don't, for some, whatever reason, you don't enjoy this work then then go home. I don't want you here. I'll find somebody who wants to be here. Agreed. I think that you you can't manufacture passion on any particular topic. You might try to like fool yourself, but if you're just not passionate about it, it's, it's really hard to produce a certain level of output when you're not passionate. Right. And, um, oh, absolutely. Like and, and if, yeah, if, if, if you don't care what you're, what you're doing, you're just, you're just looking at it as I'm just pouring shit in the mold. 
then you know what? You got shit going in. You're going to get shit coming out. Mm-hmm. So that's it. it. It's, it I, I'd rather cut my losses and work a little bit harder on my own and have the guys that want to be here and train those guys than the guys that really are just here to collect a check. How long does it usually take? How long does it usually take for um, somebody off the street? I'm sure you're probably looking for somebody with construction knowledge of some sort, read a tape measure, you know, measure out things and obviously record the data, right? To your guidelines. Um, How long does it take? Because like, it's a process, right? You know, I can, yeah, I mean, you know, how long is it going to take a guy before he can be sufficient or before you get a return on your investment, before you get a return on your investment? Yeah, it's it's a year process. Yeah, see, a year. Um, I figured that. And to be honest with you, I I don't even look for guys that necessarily have construction experience. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd rather train guys from the ground up the way that I want to train them. That is such a good point that because like you said, bringing those old habits in anything from a golf swing to a baseball bat yeah. swing, or like you said, um, I get on a, on a lot of trainings and, and it's the, the guy doing regular structural concrete, you put a trial on his hand, he could move mud and mag it out better than anybody, but more of a hindrance than a help in certain situations where you just need to, I'm looking for a thinker and a doer, but you kind of get what I'm saying. Because you get yeah. those guys, they're like bulls. They're made to work. I mean, they're made for horsepower. Get in there, grab a trial, and start, you know, let yeah, the absolutely. sweat fly, you know. And that's that's not necessarily the guy you need when exactly. you're doing some intricate stuff. Exactly. You know, you've got a guy that's, uh-huh. that's that he, he's pacing back and forth because you're, you know, he's looking at you like, what, what the hell are you doing? Because I'm fixing the clay in the mold. And he's saying, well, it looks good enough. And I'm saying, it doesn't look good enough because I know what's good enough and this isn't good enough because you want to rush and get things done and just to keep moving. It's not, this isn't the place for you. Right. You know? Right. Because they, well, and you, you know, and it's not their fault, right? You look at that as kind of when you're bought in on a job, you know, old school, let's just go back like old school. Um, and let's just say my age, 17 years old, you're, 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 you're taught at an early age to get on in either you're busy and if you're not busy, you better look busy, right? So right out of the jump, well, you're kind of <laughs> taught that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, I mean, and I'll t- I, I'll tell these guys. Listen, you know, there's going to be you're going to there's going to be times where I'm going to just tell you to stand there and watch me, and they're looking at me, and I'm going, I, I don't want you to touch anything, I don't want you to do anything, mm-hmm. I just want you to stand there and watch what I'm doing. Yeah, put the broom down, and yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and learn. You know, I mean. But there's also, you know, I tell them all the time, if if you're not watching what I'm doing and you know, you're done with what you got to do, I expect you on the broom. I expect you to clean up the shop. I, you know, I, I know, and I, I tell them this from the beginning, I'm, I'm notoriously messy. I, I make a mess wherever I go. Okay. But I tell them, I, I explain to them that that's part of the job description. Look, you guys are you guys. Part of your job is to clean up after me because I'm running here and I'm doing this and I'm jumping here and I'm doing that and I'm doing this. You guys can, you know, there's one guy that I, I'll tell. Look, you're going to follow me around today and kind of clean up after me as I go. That's part of the job. I think that's smart. I mean, if you if you were the one man band, cleaning up is part of. 
the process because you got to keep it orderly to keep your mind flowing right and, and, and all of that stuff. But if you got manpower and it allows you to do other things and allows him to kind of be providing that service, I think that's a win-win. It, it, it's definitely a win-win because, you know, how much time does it take you to clean up the shop? I know. A good chunk of the day. If you tally up those minutes between brooming, putting in, get a garbage bag, yeah, it is part of the process. But, I mean, you can get labor now pretty affordable to handle that service. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's definitely a, a value. You know, it it, uh, it pays itself. You know, there's definitely times because you know sometimes when we're working on these big projects, we're we're casting. I don't know. You know, I'll still do two thousand pounds in a day worth of uh, worth of spraying, and uh, you know the shop gets crazy. It turns into a big mess, and Everybody's tired at the end of the day, you know, but if I pay an extra guy or two to kind of come in and just follow everybody around and keep the place clean, the next day when you walk in after you've been, you know, you did a a 10-hour day, 12-hour day, you're exhausted. You don't want to clean up at the end of the day. You say, I'll do it tomorrow. But if you got two guys following you around. That's smart business. That's smart business. And you come in fresh. Peace of mind. Yep. You're the, the the ship is ready for war that day, and I I think that's smart business. I really do. Um, and obviously, when you get into a rhythm of that person, so they're not cleaning up too fast. <laughs> Whereas, like, wait a minute, hold on, leave that out. Yeah, you know, yeah. Now I you're making work I, I for me. <laughs> I wasn't done with that. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I wasn't done with that. You put that away. Pull it back out. <laughs> understood yeah. um yeah they start to they start to catch on pretty quick and and you know i tell the guys too i said listen i said here's the deal you're going to move up in the company and and the company's growing you know we're building and you and there's definitely a place for everybody to to move up i said but everybody is going to learn how to do everything and you're going to learn model. how to do every job because if you don't know how to do everything and you're going to, I'm going to hire you as a, a foreman and to run, you know, a bunch of guys and you don't know how to do every little thing. How do you know, gonna know when, when they're making a mistake? Good point. That's a real good point. Real good point. You know, it's kind of like that old school mentality of, you know, you can't get away with it today where guys were apprenticing. Mm-hmm. And they would, they would, you know, they would go in. They would, they wouldn't get paid, or they get paid peanuts just to learn. And they would stand there, and they would stand around with the broom, sweep up the shop, watch what the guys were doing, and then, you know, one day you get a chance to, all right, hey, you know, you saw me do this a hundred times. Let me see what you can do. Right. Were you paying attention? Now here's your, there's your stage, you know, your stage rehearsal yep. right there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, you know, it's not going to be on a fancy, you know, big project or something, but it's a small little thing. Uh, well, you know what? I got a, I got an extra week on this thing. If, if it screws it up, you know what? I'll recast it. Mm, that's good. <laughs> See, that's how you folded that in, and that's real smart. And that's some good and shop And I, I think it's also, it's important, too, if you're going to hire employees, get them trained. Take them to a training class. I, I, I got a, like I said, I, I lost one of my good guys. I got, I get pretty much all new guys right now. Um, they, you know, they're all within six months. And, uh, in October, I'm, I'm taking them up to the, the Trinic training. Oh, okay. Trinic's got a training up there in October. Yep. 
and and we're going to go up and we're going to do the we're going to do the class and and they're going to you know they're going to learn because you know what I, sometimes you, even as for me you know I, maybe I forget something and show them or maybe they see something and learn something different from somebody else you know it's Agreed. important to to keep it's I think training is really important and uh, it doesn't matter who you are I think that everybody should expose themselves and and try to train and, and try to learn and, and build a network of guys to work with that they can bounce ideas off of and the only place you're going to meet those people is, is through training so yeah agreed on that um can never stop learning no i mean i i, I like i said i started out with concrete countertop institute and then from there you know i did i did multiple classes and i i've, I've learned something on everything i've done and even when i was you know, when I had time, when when Trinic was putting on their classes, sometimes I just take a ride up there. Just, hey, let me let me see what happens up here. You know, sure. That's actually, you know, I, I, that's how I met Joe Dietz. Mm-hmm. You know, I met, and you know, it's how I met basically all the guys that I know in the industry was through through classes that I attended. Amazing, yeah. So you got a bit of knowledge, and then it brought into your network base, and like you said, yeah, you because, bounce ideas, and and we're all kind of in this together in a sense. Well, that's it. You know, we're, 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 we should be a unified front. You know, I mean, I have no problem. Anybody ever has any questions, they give me a call and, and, you know, I, I I don't, I don't keep, uh, I wouldn't say I don't keep any secrets, but I don't keep very many secrets. Sure. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's, you know, everybody's got their own certain little things that they, they keep to themselves. But most of the time I try to, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how to do whatever you need to know. No, that's awesome, I, and it's nice because there's a lot of people out there like that. Um, I think it 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 gives you more creativity for one. I always felt that the more kind of you let out, everybody has a different mindset, but the more you let out, I think the more you get, mm-hmm. and um, it's the ever recycling revolving door, you know. Mm-hmm. So, all right, well, listen, that uh, that about covers our time for today. So, um, John, it's been a pleasure. Great stories, had a lot of good laughs. Yeah. Um, anything you want to close out with him at? No, I'm good. Yeah, it was good, good information, great stories, you know, like you said. And uh, we've really enjoyed having you on. Probably have you back again. And uh, thank you for giving us your time. And we're going to be putting some pictures up of the work um, that we kind of described and some of the stories that we shared here on the podcast. Um, any information you want, some of your viewers can check out your work on your Instagram or anything? Yeah, just the, uh, like I said, right now I'm horrible with that stuff, so the only thing I got going current is the uh, Instagram. Okay, what is that? It's uh, Bluebird Concrete. Okay, beautiful. All right. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to be setting up, uh, uh, getting the website going and all that stuff and coming up shortly, so. All right, well, we'll be definitely talking and uh, we'll see how this trend thing molds out, but awesome. Great stuff, John. All right, yep. John. Thank you, yeah, buddy. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. All right. Yeah. All right have a good night. Take care. All right. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. Another great episode of Going Vertical with John. Um, it was a good episode, Warren. Um, and I think that about does it, right? Yeah, it closes it up. I can't wait to put the pictures up and get it. Uh, we'll get it posted as soon as we can. All right, guys. We'll catch you next time. Take care, guys. Bye.